Thank you, Pastor Coiner. Amen. How many love the Lord this morning? God's been good to you. Would you give the Lord another hand clap of praise? God, you've been good to me. You've been better to me than I've been to myself. You want good things for me. I give you glory. Praise God. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to throw the media a curveball. I'm going to give you a different title here in a minute. But we're going to use the same verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And while you're turning there, let me just say what a wonderful, wonderful honor and privilege it has been to be here with you for the last several days. My biggest regret is that my wife is not here with me. Uh, she would have loved every minute of this. She probably would have got it on to me for saying that she snores. And um, that would have been the only flaw that I've made, I think, that I would have gotten in trouble for. Who knows? I probably got in trouble for what I say and what I, uh, for saying what I just said. Um, but anyway, uh, you have to go back and listen to this morning's uh, um, message uh, lesson. So anyway, it's great to be here. Give honor to Pastor Corner and his wife. What wonderful people. I love them. I, every time I've been around them, I've so thoroughly enjoyed it. Last night, our conversations, I just wish we had more time. I really, really look forward to connecting more and having those conversations. I, I love being around people that like to think and, and uh, look at things. Um, I, I love that, and um, I very much appreciate them wonderful wonderful leaders and so many of you uh being able to be around you uh, several several times and um it is always a joy and an honor to be here with every one of you and i give every one of you you leaders honor thank you for all that you do for god's kingdom amen nothing like being a part of god's kingdom amen amen second corinthians chapter 12 reading to verse 9 and he said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in necessities and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. When I am weak, everyone say it weak, weak. then I'm strong. Yeah. Amen. The new title is this, What Moves God? Question mark. What is it that moves God? Amen. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's pray for a second. Ask God to open your heart, your mind to receive from him. Jesus, I pray, God, that you open my heart, my mind to receive from you. Let your word penetrate my heart let it find good soil in Jesus name in Jesus name and everyone say amen. amen amen you may be seated amen if you have never really been around or been a part of a Pentecostal church and you're wondering what in the world does the name or the word Pentecost mean uh, it just means um, right there did you see that it means 50. That's what Pentecost means. Um, it was 50 days after the celebration of the Passover on the day of Pentecost, this feast, 50, 50 days later, 
that um, the Holy Ghost was poured out in the book of Acts, and uh, they heard them speaking in other tongues. There were languages that they did not know. Uh, it wasn't something that they went to school and they learned how to speak. It was just a God thing. 120 gathered in an upper room, and the Holy Ghost fell. And uh, as it began to pour out on the streets and people began to see them, they were thinking, what's going on here? They're drunk. They're trying to figure it all out. And uh, Peter began to preach a message, and he says that here's what's happened. Uh, you crucified uh, the Messiah. And they said, oh, what, what, what are we going to do? What can we do now? And then Apostle Peter said that you need to repent, which means, you know, make a U-turn, go a different direction, uh, repent, and, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you find that the church began to grow, and throughout the book of Acts, you see this happening over and over again. When the Holy Ghost was poured out on people, they, um, there's something powerful that happened. They spoke in another language. And so we don't pray for tongues. Um, we are allowing God to fill us with his spirit. And when that happens, uh, throughout the book of Acts, you find that they actually spoke in other tongues. So um, it's the infilling of what we call the Holy Spirit. So if you've never experienced that, I promise you it is the most wonderful gift that you could ever receive. Amen. If I could write a check today and give you $100,000 and that check not bounce, which it would, but if the check did not bounce and I could give you $100,000, that would be a wonderful gift. And some of us, we would be like, I want that gift right now. And... Um, I think I want to hold on to that gift. <laughs> but if I could do that, it wouldn't compare to the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's right. Hey Amen. We serve an awesome God. Can someone say yes? yes. He's awesome. And uh, he's a good God. I said that a little earlier to one of the sisters. I said, he's good. God's good. And she said, all the time. And I love that. He is good all the time. And there's amazing things about God that is so different than you and I. Now, I try to be good, but I'm not good all the time. But God is good all the time. I, uh, I think I know a little bit. I knew a whole lot when I was a teenager. It's amazing. I know a lot less now than I did back then. But, um, you know, I, I, I like to learn, and I, I like to try to, you know, gather some understanding and knowledge. But they say that with all the information in the world today, the smartest person in the world knows less than 2% of everything that exists. And I'm definitely not the smartest person. But uh, let's just suppose that I am the smartest person. I know less than 2% of all the information that exists. So I don't know everything. But our God, he knows all things. Yeah. He's what we call omniscient. He knows all things. God, God is omnipresent, which means that God is everywhere at one time. I can't be everywhere at one time. Sometimes I run around real busy as though that I can be everywhere at one time, but it's impossible. Sometimes my body shows up someplace and my mind's not there yet. <laughs> I'm so busy. In fact, 
I like to make up words most of the time by accident. And sometimes they're good words. A, year, a few years ago, I tried to take the word con, con, um, condense and concise, and I put them together, and I came up with condice. That was a pretty good word. I got teased about it. Everybody teased me for the longest about making up the word condice. And finally, one of my friends that teased me all the time, he said, you're not going to believe it. He said, the other day, I was talking to somebody, and he said, and I said condice, and I wasn't trying to make a joke. He said, I was completely serious when I said condice. So um, I, I like to make up words every now and then. I'm working on a book right now, and I've made up a new word, and it's actually going to be in the book. I've learned that new words, this is how they come about, uh, officially, is that someone puts it into writing. So I'm going to put it into writing. The new word is called rodentivity. I'm going to take the word productivity. I'm going to change it. I'm going to say rodent, like a hamster or a gerbil, rodentivity, because when a hamster or a gerbil gets on a wheel, they just spin, 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 but they're not going anywhere, and that is rodentivity. We think it's productivity, but we're just going through life, spinning, 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 but we're not really going anywhere. So here's my new word. Don't anybody write it before I do. I want credit for the new word. I'm the one that came up with a new word. But, but we, we think we can be everywhere at the same time. We can't be everywhere at the same time, but God can. And sometimes we think that we're all powerful. Like, yeah. My pythons are sick. Not good. I mean, like, really bad. These things are weak. My nephew used to go, like, he'd get out. He's the skinniest, lankiest dude you've ever seen in your life. And I'd go to visit my brother and sister-in-law and my nephew, and he'd go, like, hey, Uncle, Uncle Gene. I'd go, like, yeah. And he goes, is my beach ball over there or over there? I'm like, you're crazy, man. But we think sometimes that we're all powerful, but we're not all powerful, but God is. Amen. We serve in a, a God who is everything that we're not. <laughs> He's a great God. Can someone say amen? amen? And I have experienced God's greatness. I have experienced it, and I know that across this, this sanctuary here uh, this, this morning are people who have experienced God's power. God's goodness. God has saved us. Amen. God has delivered us. God has healed us. God has given us victory. God has given us direction. God has spoken into our lives. Thank God that God has made a difference in our lives because God has done stuff for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And yet we try. And yet we try. We try to work our way through. We try to solve things. We try to take care of it. And, and when we try, invariably, 99.9% .9 of the time, we make a mess of everything. But God. Amen. But God. Amen. I, uh, I, I'm just going to share with you. I'm not, I'm not trying to preach a sermon. In fact, I never asked God to help me preach a sermon in my life. I don't even care about preaching. Uh, sermons don't matter to me. Um, what matters to me is that I want the Holy Ghost to minister to people. So, uh, you know, I'm going to talk until I feel that the Holy Ghost is ministering to people and it's time to stop, and then I'm going to stop. Okay? That's what's going to happen. So 10 minutes, I may be done. 
30 minutes, I may be done. I'm going to try to be done a little quicker than that. But I, I want the Holy Ghost to minister. Here, here, here's the thing. I, I, I'm not up here to impress anybody. It, it, those things doesn't matter to me. I, I, I stumble around words. I'll make words up. I'll make a fool out of myself, and then I'll try to forget about everything. Because if I don't, I'll go home and I'll beat myself up for everything I said and everything I did. A couple of nights ago, I was teaching and uh, earlier this week, and I sat down on the platform, Indian style, and came up with this crazy idea that I could do something like I did when I was younger, and that is put my feet over and somehow lock them in. I used to do that, and I'd walk on my knees. And I'm 50 years old, and I did that, and I sat there and looked at everyone, and all of a sudden I said, you know what? This hurts. <laughs> Then I went home and tried to forget about what I had, had done. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, here, here's, here, here's, here's the point that I, I want to make at this point in the message. Is that we, we need God. We can't do this on our own. Amen. We need Him. We need Him. There was a song, Pastor Corner, that I'm sure that when you were younger, you probably sang it like, just like I did. We don't sing it much more. I don't hear it that often. But I find myself singing it almost every week. Song, I, I, I'm always singing old songs. I'm getting old. I'm like, I'm walking around in my house and I'm singing these old songs. Now I love the new songs, but I'm just saying, I can't remember most of the new songs. So I sing a lot of old songs. I'm walking around my house and I find myself singing songs like this I need thee oh I need thee every hour I need thee oh bless me now my Savior I come to thee I find myself singing like songs like this right here Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. You will find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. He's passing by this moment your needs to supply. Reach out and touch the Lord as he goes by. And some of the young people, the real young ones, are looking at me going like, dude, I ain't never heard that before in my life. <laughs> the one I keep finding myself singing more often than most is the song that says, um, Touching Jesus is all that really matters. <laughs> Touching Jesus is all that really matters. I love the next line. Then your life will never be the same. I learned as a little kid, that the touch of God mattered more than anything. 
And if I couldn't experience his touch, then everything else I was doing was pretty much a waste. I learned that as a little kid. I learned it at the age of seven years old when we moved into Niles, Michigan, right across the line from Indiana. I still consider myself in Indiana because I was right directly across the line uh, from Indiana. South Bend, Indiana is when I fell in love with Notre Dame football. I was a little kid. And uh, we moved into a house that was over 100 years old. Next door to us were the Raider stores. They had a daughter named Cindy. She was my age and a son named Nikki and my sister's age and then another daughter that was my other sister's age and we all became friends but but Lida the mom Lida had MS when we moved in she could barely make her way to the street taking out the garbage once a week and she'd pick up a glass and many times she would drop it and the doctor said you've got less than two years before you're going to be in a wheelchair they didn't go to church didn't have a relationship with God we moved in my father was pastor and he said why don't you come visit and Lida came brought her kids Herb he didn't he didn't want much to do with church Herb stayed home but Lida came brought the kids and after a couple months Lida said to my dad she said Pastor Wilson would it be okay if I went over to South Bend tonight she says there is a faith healer that is coming to there to Notre Dame and one of the convention centers and she said I, I need God to heal me my dad said well Lida he said I'm not going to tell you that you can't go he said you can do whatever you want to do he said I can tell you this much you don't have to go hear that faith healer to get your healing he said you can come to church tonight and God can heal you Lida walked back into service that night with about 70 people the power of God began to move and Lida walked down to the altar and God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and God healed her that night of MS instantly. Instantly. It was gone. Instantly. At seven years old, one of the profound moments of my life, I learned that touching Jesus matters. Because if I can touch him, he will touch me. And my life will never be the same. It matters. That wasn't the only time. I remember my father preaching a revival in, in Indianapolis at Westside Pentecostal Church. And I remember people throwing down their crutches. I remember a night a lady came in and, and she was a cripple and she threw her crutches down and began to run the aisles. I've seen it. I've, I've seen these things. I've seen people with deaf ears be healed. I, I've seen it. I've been a part of it. I've learned at a young age that touching Jesus is all that matters. So that's why at the age of 50 years old, I find myself many, many times, it's usually at least once or twice a week when I'm getting up in the morning, I'm walking around the house, I'm singing, God, I want to touch you. I want to touch you because I know that if I can touch him, he will touch me. Yeah. I long for that touch. I was in a service a few years ago. pastor the senior pastor was gone I was supposed to be preaching I was associate pastor and man, we had a Holy Ghost blow up I mean it was a worship service people praying crying over here on this side section just like this there was someone who was receiving the Holy Ghost in the middle of the service the Holy Ghost spoke to me said go preach we hadn't received the offering and you never preach before you receive the offering 
the Holy Ghost said, go preach. I thought, oh, are you sure? About that time, a fellow minister friend of mine looked at me and he said, Brother Wilson, whatever God just told you, you're supposed to do it. And that was all the confirmation I needed. So I walked to the pulpit and I said, continue praying. I'm going to preach. And I began to preach about the power of Jesus' name. And I'm telling you what, this service was like going way up. Great service. And the longer that I preached, I mean, from the very beginning, the longer I preached, it just went. I got done preaching. I mean, it was dead. No one came. The altar, nothing. I said, the choir is going to come and sing. We're going to receive the offering. And I'm telling you, this service has plummeted. And... Um, I went back to my seat and I thought, God, if that man, the other, my fellow minister, had not said, you know, whatever God just told you, go do it, then God, I would have really thought I messed it up. But as it is right now, I think that he missed it and I missed it both. I was sitting there and a lady gets up from over here, walks down the altar, and she says, like this, will you pray for me? So there's quite a few ministers on the platform. I just walked over. She said, I need you to pray for me. I said, okay. So I know what to pray for, and it was just like the service. I felt nothing. It was dead. I felt nothing. Nothing at all. I got to tell it. I, I, I don't know when I'll be back. <laughs> Hopefully sooner than later, but I got I to tell it. I got to tell it. I was out in California, and a friend of mine went to go preach um, in the afternoon to the, the Spanish uh, congregation. And uh, he was from Guatemala, Lonnie Burton. Is that Guatemala? No, Venezuela. That's it, right? Lonnie Burton. And he went, and he came back that night, and he said, man, you're not going to believe. He said, I messed up. I said, what did you do? And he's got this funniest story. He said, man, he said, this man came up to me and said, well, you go pray for my wife. And he says, your wife? He said, what's wrong? He goes, well, she's crazy. And he goes, your wife's crazy? And he goes, yeah, she has a tumor in her brain. And I said, oh, okay, she's got a tumor. So he said, I went and I poured the oil on my hands, and I slapped my hands together, and oil was running down. And he said, I said, which one? That one back here? And he goes, yes. He said, I went back there, and I said, ma'am, he says, do you believe in God? And she says, yes. He said, do you believe God's a healer? And she said, yes. He said, I slapped my hands on her head. He said, I shaked her head one way or the other. He said, I'm feeling God. He said, I'm praying. And he said, I'm, feeling, I'm just feeling this is God. He said, I'm casting this tumor out. He said, I kept feeling this tap on my on my shoulder and he said I turned around and looked and the man was there and he goes not her her <laughs> so he's feeling it and he's got it all messed up I'm not feeling anything I pray for this lady I mean, I mean nothing and the service ends she goes back and sits down I got up I said you're dismissed and I went home I thought man what in the world was that and uh, Tuesday, my phone rings. My office, and I answer it. And uh, it's the lady. And she says, Pastor Wilson. I said, yes. She says, you know when I came to pr uh, get prayed for Sunday? And I said, yes. She says, well, I haven't said anything. She said, I was supposed to have surgery. She says, I have cancer. She said, I went back to the doctor and said, um, on, two, uh, on Monday, and said, rerun that test. Doctor said, what do you mean? Run the test. He says, why? She says, well, I got prayed for he said, are you serious? She goes, yeah, run the test. He goes, well, we already know you have cancer. And she goes, run the test. She said, I finally talked to him to run the test. She said, I just got the phone call. She said, there's no cancer. They can't find anything. <laughs> Nothing. 
So I, I've seen this, and I know here, you, you all have experienced this. I've seen this over and over and over again, that when you touch God, something happens. Yeah. Something happens. And I find this in Scripture. I mean, there are so many things in Scripture. There's the time where Jacob, he's, he's been a conniver. He's, his name means subplanter. He has, he's connived. He's manipulated things. He's, he's basically stepped in and just always maneuvering things around. And yet he comes to this point in his life that he can't do anything. He can't connive. He can't maneuver things around. He has stolen his brother's birthright, the blessing. And now, after many years, God says, return home. And he's on his way home. And the next day, he's getting ready to meet his brother Esau. And he doesn't know if Esau's still going to try to kill him or not because Esau vowed that he was going to kill him. And Jacob's at a point in his life where something has to happen. So he ends up in this wrestling match with this angel. And the angel is saying, let me go. And Jacob is like, no, I'm not letting go until you bless me. In other words, I need a touch from God. And I'm not, I am not going to let go until I get that touch from God. And the angel touches him in the hollow of his, of, of his thigh, his hip. And from that day forward, Jacob walks with a limp. And this is an outward sign of what actually happened inwardly because at that same moment that that's happening, God speaks and says, you are no longer Jacob, the conniver. You are now Israel. You're the man who contends with God. You are a prince with, of God. You, you, you're a prince. And, and so he changes Jacob, not just on the outward, but he also changes him on the inward. There is something special about the touch of God. We need God's touch in our lives. And I could go scripture after scripture, and I'll hurry through some of these, but, but notice that there is a leper who needs a touch. And in Matthew 8, the Bible says Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched him and says, Be cleansed. And immediately, the Bible says, his leprosy left him. There was a blind man, two of them, who the Bible says that Jesus and touched their eyes. This is Matthew 9. And he said, it shall be done to you according to your faith. And immediately their eyes were open. There was a deaf man in Mark 7 that Jesus took him aside from the crowd and he put his fingers into his ears. After spitting, he touched his tongue with the slava and the deaf man's ears were open and he began to speak. There is a blind man in Mark 8 that arrived in Bethesda and people brought the blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. He took him by the hand. He led him out of the village. He spit on the man's eyes and he placed his hands on them. He says, can you see anything? And he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And once again, Jesus placed his eyes on the man's eyes and when he opened them, his eyesight was restored and he could see clearly over and over again throughout the Bible. When God touches man, something happens. Something happens. So we, we, we should want and desire the touch of God. Touching Jesus. Oh my word, I wish I somebody here would get something stirred up in your heart that would say touching Jesus is all that really matters. I need his touch. I need God to move in my life. I need to hurry along. I'm not, I, I, need, I need to hurry along. But let, 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 me get, let me get to the point that I, I feel like I really need to make. Two weeks ago, one of those mornings that I'm singing songs and I'm worshiping the Lord and I'm getting ready and I'm praying. I'm just having this conversation with the Lord and 
I'm not kneeling, I'm not crying, I'm just getting ready, I'm combing my hair and brushing my teeth and I'm just talking to the Lord and, and somewhere in that conversation I said something that startled me. I never said it before in my life. I said, God, I want to touch you. God, I want to move you. And when I said that, I was just like startled because I had prayed something that I never before prayed in my life. Now, I've prayed that, God, I want to touch you so you will touch me. I've prayed that prayer many times. I've sung that song many times, Pastor Corner, but I have never, not one time, have I ever prayed the prayer that I prayed two weeks ago. Not the way that I prayed it. Because when I prayed that prayer, I was meaning something different than I'd ever meant before in my life. My prayer is, God, I want to move you. I want to touch you the way you move me or the way you touch me. God, you've touched my heart and my heart melts. You, you move me in a way that just causes me to want to do something. And somehow, God, can I touch you that way? Can I touch your heart that it just causes you to melt and causes you to want to do something? Can I touch you? My immediate thought when I prayed that prayer was, oh, no. Is it okay for me to pray that prayer? Is it wrong for me to pray, God, I want to touch you the way that you touch me because I, I'm mere human and, and he's God. Is it wrong for me to pray this type of prayer? That was my immediate thought. And then I began to think, well, what does the Bible say about me touching God? And I thought, well, surely I can touch him in my praise and surely I can touch him in my, in my worship and surely I can touch him in my prayers. But as I am thinking about that and those scriptures, I'm trying to find them. I can't find one. I'm looking for it. There's got to be something about praise touching God and something about my worship moving God. And I'm trying to find one in the Bible and I cannot find one. And I thought, surely I'm missing something. So I went into my bedroom and I sat down in my little chair and I grabbed my computer and I began to Google. Wonderful Google. Touching God. How can I touch God? And immediately comes up this page. It's got Website after website after website. And I've been clicking every website. And there's sermons and there's blogs and there's articles. And every one of them are saying worship and praise. And yet when I go to the scripture that they put there, I don't find anything about touching God or moving God. Not in the way that I'm praying it. God, I want to move you the way you move me. I want to touch you the way you touch me. I, I, want, I want something to rise with you. I can't find it. One of them, a, 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 a minister, if I said his name, every one of you probably would know who he is. Very famous TV preacher. He's got in his page this deal about moving God. And he begins talking about how that God inhabits the praises of his people. But I, I don't find in that scripture there's anything about moving God. And as I'm looking at all that, the Holy Ghost is still speaking to me. And I'm like, could, it, could this really be? Could, could, this, could this be? And the Holy Ghost keeps speaking to me and scriptures begin coming to my mind and, 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 and settings throughout the Bible over and over again where God begins to, to move and God begins to uh, be touched and it comes to me over and over again and, and sure enough, here's the scripture that hit me unlike anything else. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now, I don't know a lot about English, but I do know that that is a double negative. In other words, the first part, for we have not 
a high priest is counseled out by the second part which cannot be touched. So when the second part which cannot be touched cancels out the first part we have not, it reads as such. We have a high priest which can, can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. The Holy Ghost began to speak to me. And the Holy Ghost began to say to me that there's a lot of people who think that they can touch God and they can move God with their performance. But God is not moved or touched by their performance. God is moved. God is touched by our infirmities. And the Lord began to speak to me. Went to Matthew chapter 14, 14. Jesus went forth. He saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. It wasn't their worship that moved him. It wasn't their praise that moved them. It wasn't their performance that moved him. It was their need. I'm not preaching against prayer. I'm not preaching against worship. I'm not preaching against praise. We got to pray. We got to worship. We got to praise him. I'm just saying that it's not our performance that moves God. Instead, it is our need for God that moves him. It's our need. It's our need. It's our need. It's our need. There were two men that Jesus said in a parable that went to pray. And one of the men that went to pray, he acknowledged his need. He said, God, he said, I'm nothing but a sinner. God, I'm worthless. I don't have anything to offer you. God, I have great need of you, and I'm not worthy of your touch. And then Jesus said there was another that came in, and he said, God, I'm not like that other guy. The Bible lets us know that God doesn't accept the prayers of the guy who's saying, I'm not like that other guy. The problem with the church of Laodicea was that Laodicea was a city that was great wealth, great wealth, great wealth. And in America, we can talk about our struggle, but we're one of the wealthiest nations in the world. If we have anything in similarity to some of the churches in the book of Revelation, we probably are more similar to the church of Laodicea than any others. They had great wealth. They had everything together. They had everything that they needed. And yet the word of the Lord was to this church was that you don't even realize it, but you're blind, you're naked, you have great need, but you don't even realize it because you think you got it all together. And he says, so therefore I stand outside the door and I'm knocking. I wonder sometimes, is God outside the door of our hearts knocking? But because we don't recognize our need for him, we think, well, I've got this, I've got that, I've got this, I've got that. God is not impressed with what we've got. God is not impressed with our performance. God is not impressed. Is there anybody here that in your life that you recognize, God, I, I can't do this without you. God, I, I can't 
It's not about me. It's not about my talents. It's not about my abilities. It's not about my knowledge. It's not about my know-how. I can't do this. God, it's not about me. It's about you. I could go through scriptures after scriptures. Jesus came near, near the city of Jerusalem, Luke 19, 41. He wept over it. Luke 13, he wept over it. Luke 19, he wept over it. There was no worship. There was no praise. Instead, it was a city with great need, and it moved him. For God so loved the world that he gave. It moved God to do something because of man's need. While we were yet sinners, not while we were beautiful and we had it all together, while we were yet sinners, it moved God to do something. Jesus gives a parable. He says there is a son who goes and he spends everything that he has. He finds himself in a pig pen. He's lost everything. No more money. No more friends. His clothing is tattered. He's filthy. His hair is matted. He's lost his sense of identity. His life's been torn apart, torn to shreds. And he comes to himself and he says, you know what? The servants in my father's household, they're better off than I am. I'm going home to my father. I'm going to ask him to make me a servant. The Bible says that as he was coming, a far way off, the father, he's been going to the porch and he's been looking every day. He saw him far way off. He doesn't look the same that he looked when he first left home. He's coming down the road. His garments are tattered. His life's a mess. He wasn't worshiping. He wasn't praising. He wasn't displaying glory. He wasn't displaying royalty. Instead, he was a mess. But the father saw him in his mess. And the Bible says that he had compassion on him and he ran to meet him. I'm going to say it again. God's not impressed with your ability to have it all together. God's not impressed with how many years you've been walking with the Lord, how much Bible you know. God's not impressed with any of that. That doesn't move God. Well, I can do this. I can do that. I've done this. I've done that. God's not impressed. Doesn't impress God. Doesn't move God. It does, that doesn't touch God. Apostle Paul says, most gladly, therefore, why rather glory in my infirmities, 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Pastor Corner, no one ever says to me, thank you for your infirmities. Thank you for your weaknesses. Thank you for your struggles, your distresses. No one ever says that to me. And furthermore, most of the time, I don't even thank God for those things. Instead, people say things to me like, thank you for your books. Thank you for your sermon. Thank you for your talk. Thank you for your knowledge. The Apostle Paul says, I'm going to glory in my weakness. I'm going to glory in my distress. I'm going to glory in all the things that you and I try to hide from everybody and we don't want to admit. Instead, we want to put on the good front. We want to show the strong side. And we go to church and we go through life trying to display all of our strengths And those strengths are the very things that don't attract God to us. Instead, it's the complete opposite. What attracts God is not all of the good things that we have, we can offer. It's not our performance, but it's our weakness. So could I say something to someone right now? The music could come. Don't waste your weakness don't waste it don't waste your weakness because it's your weakness it's your weakness that gives God the opportunity to display his strength don't waste it Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Brother, I don't know what you've you've experienced in life. But I'm here to tell you the very things that you experience that causes weakness in areas of your life are the very things that attracts God to you. And it's those things that make you strong. Glory. I will glory in my... Infirmities. Paul says, I prayed three times for God to remove this thorn from my life. Three times I asked God to get it out. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you want God to remove from your life. But it could very well be that God is saying, I'm not going to remove it. Instead, I'm going to leave it there. Because when I leave it there, my grace is going to be displayed. And in your weakness, there's going to come great strength. 
I don't know what you experience at home. I don't have no clue what the struggle may be. But I can promise you this much, every bit of struggle that you experience at home, it comes to the opportunity for God to display his strength in your life. So why don't we just stop? If I could just say it as just as plain as I can say it. Why don't we just stop our hypocritical display of all the great things that we are and why don't we just start being real and acknowledge that we have struggles that we have weaknesses and let's get the spirit of the pharisaical attitude out of our lives out of our church and let our world know that we're not good because we got great abilities and talents but if there's any good in us, it's simply because we serve a great and marvelous God. I'm inviting sinners to the altar. That should be every one of us. Apostle Paul said, I am the chief sinner of all. He was acknowledging his great need for God. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell somebody the only thing that separates you from being everything that God wants you to be, the callings that God has placed on your life, the only thing that's holding you back is your willingness to be weak. <laughs> 